Let's just close in prayer. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> that was really nice. Thank you. There's so much to say in such a short time. So much to say. Do you know why you're here? I mean, I'm not talking like here at this conference and coming at this place, but do you know why you're here on this planet? I, I think that um, one of the most powerful things in the human, human history is a, is a person who knows their purpose. Just amazing. Purpose-driven person. I mean, uh, the guy in the south of California wrote the purpose-driven life and the purpose-driven church and all that kind of stuff, which caused major divisions. Major divisions. I think his thesis was, his base thesis was inaccurate and uh, in terms of the purpose-driven church. But when you notice when you know something that you should be doing and you have that purpose, it's really, really uh, a formidable force. I'd like to talk this morning powerful purposes. And I'd like us to look at uh, 1 Peter. Surprise, surprise. Look at 1 Peter. And uh, <clears throat> we're going to look at chapter 2. We're going to look at chapter 2, but give a brief synopsis of chapter 1, 13, the following, because what he is doing, what he is doing is he's talking about, he talks about hope in 1 through 12, and then in 13, through the balance of it, through 25, he's talking about holiness. So you have hope and then holiness. How do we respond? We respond to the situations that we face and that all of us face as, as Christians who suffer, we do suffer. And maybe you're suffering through this right now. And uh, that's not, <laughs> this is not suffering. Uh, but when we look at this <clears throat> type of thing and we, we say, okay, how do we respond? How do you respond to this? And this is what, what Peter is talking about. Peter is talking about holiness. Now, I don't know what you think about holiness. I don't know, maybe you think that holiness is looking like you've been weaned on lemons. You know? Oh, yes, I'm holy. Oh, yes, I'm holy, and I don't even walk. I float. And, uh, you know, and I have no body odor at all, and no halitosis, and everything. I'm just wonderful, and I'm holy. And you get this British accent when your real voice is, Hi, how you doing? You know, and you got this, well, how's it going? I'm just this holy. What is holiness? Is that holiness? No, not, uh-uh. And uh, so I look at what holiness is, and I think to myself, okay, how do we respond when we have a situation that is really taxing us? And, it, and when we look at the thing, when we say it taxes us, that is to say we come to an end of our own strength and realize that our strength has to be in him. 
We, have, we face situations in terms of suffering that we cannot handle. I think the Lord allows that to happen in our lives so we can see him powerfully work in our lives. I think that's why he does it. Somebody once said, a tea bag's nothing unless you put it in hot water. You know, I mean, you got a great tea bag, so what? You don't know the strength of the tea bag unless it's in hot water. We do not know the strength of God's power and his grace in our lives unless we have situations that prove that. True? So then how do we handle it? We get into these situations, what do we do? He's going to tell us in 13 through 25 in chapter 1, he's going to tell us to handle it with holy. Be ye holy, for I am holy. <clears throat> what does the holiness mean? For, for God's point of view, holiness means uniqueness. It is uniqueness. He, there is only one God. There's only one Him. And there's only, you know, the, the, our, the Lord our God is one. And He's telling us to be like Him. And it's a command. Ah! What does that mean, okay? How does that work? Okay, all right, okay, I'm going to walk. Okay, I'm going to pick on somebody, and uh, I am, I'm going to walk, and I'm going to pick on a good friend, a good friend I've known for years and years and years, and, and do you have your purse with you? You do? Can I have it? Thank you, thank you. Oh, it's a good purse. Thanks. Now this is my purse. This is my purse. Uh, thank you, Sue Hallmark. This is really good. This is a nice purse. This is my. So if I took this and I had, let's say I brought my, I have an F-150, uh, 2013 F-150, and I took this purse, I'm not going to even look inside. I'm not going to look inside. But let's just say I took this purse and I put it, and it's a three-ton truck. I like this. Extended bed, extended cab, the whole thing, three tons. And I put this on the, underneath the rear wheel of this, put it really nice, perfectly, and ran it over. Sue, what would you, I mean, would you be, like, upset? You wouldn't be upset. Sue is a godly woman. <laughs> she is a godly woman. So you take this purse, and I put it underneath, and back it up, so you might get upset for her. You go, ah! The guy's nuts. And you'd be right. You'd be absolutely right. You'd say, that, that guy's crazy. And that'd be true. My grandson calls me crazy papa. That's what he does. He goes, oh, crazy papa here. All right. I'll take it. I'll take it. Better than boring papa. Okay, so I take this, put it on, run it over. You might get upset. And the reason why you'd get upset is because you would say, <coughs> Chris, I just want you to know something. <laughs> it's not yours. It's not yours. You need a checkup from the neck up. And this is just not yours. Thank you, Sue. But if I took my small and unobtrusive, uh, just my small and little dinky bag, and I took this thing and put it underneath the rear wheel and ran it over and crushed it, you'd still think I'm crazy but I would have every right to do it. Why? It's mine. 
Hmm. It's mine. Would you turn with me briefly? We're going to keep your finger. That's why we got five left, five, five left, five. That's why you have ten fingers. And put, put one finger in where we are right now. And then turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Cor 6. 1 Cor 6. And I just want to show, point something out. Uh, for, that's in the New Testament, I believe. 1 Corinthians 6. And just let's look at a, a little verse here. Two verses, actually. And uh, verses 19 and 20. Verses 19 and 20. It says, What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, whom you have of God, and you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's property. The ESV, the NIV, uh, the NASB don't have that last phrase in it. It depends on the Texas Receptus or the accepted text and all that kind of junk. But I believe that this, you know, the last phrase of this, and you, but you are God's property, should be included in the text. And so <clears throat> if that is true, and I believe it is, you're not your own. If you know Jesus is your personal Savior, you're not your own. You have no claim to your own life. You cannot possibly, with any rationality or justification, say to God, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, without first asking him, what do you want me to do? Why? Because he has bought me with a price. I am not my own. I don't have any rights to my own life. That's holiness. You can do whatever you want with my life. You can take my life, and uh, some people think I'm an old bag myself, but you look at this and you say, I don't have any rights to do whatever you want to do with my life. It's your business. That's holiness. Holiness means uniqueness. It means to be set apart. That's all it means. It doesn't mean that you float. It doesn't mean that nothing smells bad on your body or anything like that. It doesn't mean you have this air about you. It means that you are his. You are his property for him to do whatever you want with it. Whatever he wants to do with me, I want him to do it. And it does not matter. Whatever you want. Now, let's just, let's just bring this to a, a thing. This is what Peter is saying. In the midst of your situation that you're having, you have that hope, and that hope is Jesus Christ. But understand, when Jesus Christ redeemed you from, the, from hell, from the penalty of sin, and the, and the enslavement of sin, now I am his property for him to do whatever he wants. Now, you, some of you uh, elderly saints think, well, you know, I, now I'm retired and I can do whatever I want and all that kind of... No, no, not. Not. And you say, well, I don't have any gifts and or talents. Are you telling God that he can't do whatever he wants with your life and he can't gift you? And so you might think, and I don't know how old you are, young lady. I don't know how old you are. Do you go to the home? Do you live in the home here? Okay. Yeah, but, but see, this applies to you. 
is to play. Oh, I go to the Western Assembly's home. Big deal. What does God want with you? What does God want to do in your life? And then, I don't know how old you are, and I'm not asking. Okay? But I want you to know it's the same, same position with her as with you. It's true. You're 12. I'm not asking. But this is how we are to respond. This is how we are to respond. And then in the midst of that, when we look at the powerful, pur that's a powerful purpose. I am to do what God wants me to do. And sometimes when we go through deep waters, and we do, when we go going back to 1 Peter, we go through deep waters, I want us to look at something, and this is what he's going to do. Because I, I tell you, I don't know how you are, but I am a wimp, and I am a complainer. Just drive New York City with me. You'll see it. Uh, you know, you even have to drive. Drive around here and you'll see it. You know, whiner. You know, the political. How many, how many of us are whiners? Raise your hand. How many of us are liars and didn't raise our hands? <laughs> okay. Okay, so when we look at this and we say to ourselves, all right, all right, we gotta, we've got to, how do we handle this kind of thing? Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. It says, wherefore, laying aside, laying aside, and uh, <laughs> this is really easy, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a really interesting thing. Lay aside. Okay, all right. I, I like this jacket. Oh, this is a great jacket. I got, and I can't believe I'm wearing this jacket. I can't believe I'm wearing this jacket here in California. This is a nice jacket. Lay this aside. Lay it aside. Okay. It either means, this word lay aside, either means to fold it up real good and put it over here. Right? That's either, either that. Or it means to put it aside. Lay it aside. What are we to do in terms of laying that aside? What are we to lay aside? Notice the litany of words here. I don't even know what litany means, but it sounded good. Notice the, the words. I don't have a clue. Litany. I mean, really, I don't. <laughs> so I look at, look, at, look at the litany of words here that we are to lay aside. Lay aside what? All malice. See, when you go through deep waters, sometimes we focus on ourselves. And we get, why did this happen to me? We can get bitter. We can get, and we can blame. We can do the blame guy. That guy did it to me. This did it to me. This person did it to me. Oh, wait a second. If our eyes are focused on the Lord Jesus Christ, even though we go through deep waters, even when our eyes are focused on the Lord, and this is what Peter is constantly telling us to do. Focus on the Lord. Focus on the Lord. He's going to bring it back to us. Again, this is the whole epistle. 
Focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes we do the blame game with somebody else and we start getting, and it's not our problem, it's somebody else's problem and we did this. Notice what he says. He says, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies, envies and all evil speaking, malice. Lay aside that malice. This is wicked ill will. Wicked ill will. Am I the only person in this place that has had that for people? You want them, in some cases, how's this one for you? This is, this is your warm and fuzzy sermon. Rex is going to just really smooth us out. <laughs> but I tell you right now, this is like, this is like I, I wish I didn't come this morning sermon. Do you have ill will for people in your life? Come on. Now, you don't do it to me. You're talking before God. He already knows. But he wants us to come clean with our own lives. Lay aside that wicked ill will. That's what malice is. Wicked ill will. I really wish that person would have an attitude. Have you ever thought that about another brother or sister in Christ? Need to get them out of here. Hey, and we're good at justifying that one, too. We are good. At, we justify that, you know. We, we did, I've seen people do that. I've seen, I've seen it. You know, and uh, has it been in my own life? I have to ask that question. And all guile. And it's an interesting thing, guile. Dolan, D-O-L-A-N. Guile. It literally means deceit. Lay aside the, the, the deceit. Deceit, guile. If you're deceptive and you have deceit in your heart, you paint a picture that is not realistic. You might even talk about that. There's another one, gossip. But, I mean, you know, the whole idea of this, lay it aside. Pitch it out of here. Get it out of here. And so when you, you know, we're, we're to, you know, we're to get, he's, he's telling us, he's making these purposes of salvation and one of them is growth, and by growth we mean that we have renunciation. We renounce these things, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, but handling the word of God deceitfully. All right? We do not want to do that. Paul tells us that, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. And so this is what we're not to do. We're to lay this aside. Don't let this be once named among you. But unfortunately, it is. And I want to just say, you know, we're doing this conference. We flew out and we got the ties on and all this kind of stuff, right? I mean, it's all, we're all smelling pretty good and all that kind of stuff. And it's really nice. But there's death sometimes in our hearts. And it's, it's just, it's on 
mitigated. In other words, it's not controlled. It floods out in our hearts. True? Not true. I mean, I mean, I'm just what the word says. Throw it away. Get rid of it. Just pitch it and get rid of it. Lay aside that. But there's violence of action in this. We need to come clean before God. You know, Corey Tembum once was praying. Corey Tembum, I think you know who she is. Most of us do. Corey Tembum. Uh, sister Betsy died in the concentration camp. She was in the concentration camp. She got released one day before they exterminated all of her age group in, during World War II. Just amazing. Just an awful, awful thing. She was praying for revival. And God told her to take a piece of chalk and draw a circle on her floor. And so she did it. And then God told her to pray, kneel within that circle, and then pray for revival within that circle. What does revival look like? When we talk, we talk about revival. We need revival, revival. I hear this all the time. I even studied it when I was a student at Moody Bible Institute. My, my uh, major was evangelism, and we studied revivals. What does revival look like? Charles Grayson Finney, probably one of the greatest revivalists in American church history, said this about revival. He said, revival is nothing more than a new obedience to God. Period. It doesn't white knuckles and none of that stuff. It is a new obedience to God. We need to have that in our life. And revival can start this very second. This very moment by laying aside all malice wicked ill will, laying it aside, deceit, deceit, get rid of the deceit in your life, guile, and hypocrisies. You know hypocrisy, this is, a, this is a kill. I hate this passage. I hate this passage because it's going, oh man, it's killing me. That's what it's doing. Hypocrisies, it's the Greek word, that is used of the Greek actors. And they, have, they would have a stick with a little face. You ever see, um, you ever see like on finance, uh, not finance, uh, fine arts. Beg your pardon. Fine arts and finance, you know. Fine arts, you know, you see the two faces. You, one's like, it looks like this. It comes down, one was a smile, and the one's a sad one. And they put them together, and that's the fine arts. And ooh, yeah, right. You know what I'm talking. This is the, where the the Greek actors would. One guy would play two roles, and he'd have the the mask in front, sad, and then switch it, happy, sad. And they use the Greek word hypocrisia. Hypocrite. Two-faced. 
You really don't know what they're thinking. You really don't know what they're like. Turn to God. Lay it aside. Be real. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't be a hypocrite. And that's exactly laying aside all malice, all guile and hypocrisies, envyings, and all evil speakings. Oh, my word. I'm booked. I don't know about you. This just killed me. He's telling us to lay it aside, get rid of it. It's a, it is a command of us. We are to pitch it and get rid of it. And, you know, once just, I'm, I'm done with it. I don't want it anymore. That's exactly how it should be. And if it's not that way, we're not doing what God wants us to do. I'm telling you right now, if that's what's in your heart right now, you better get right with God. Right now. Not tomorrow. Not now. Right now, do business with God. And say, Lord, I have, I have sinned. Because that's what it is. It's sin. Pure sin. Get rid of it. And then he says this. As newborn babes, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word. You know what this word is? Ah, dolan. No deceit. You have the word a in front of the Greek word dolan. You have dolan, deceit. You have the word, or the letter A, which means no deceit. The word of God is never going to deceive you. The word of God is always going to give you, is, is the truth and give you the truth. We'll always do that. And don't blame anybody else. Look at the pure milk of the word. Have this in your life. As newborn babes, and they take it in. I got to one-year-old granddaughter. Man, she can eat. It's really cool. She can eat. My grandson can too. I mean, but look at what this is. The pure, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow by it. If so, be that tasted that the Lord is gracious. And isn't he gracious to you? Isn't he gracious to you? You're a handsome woman. You. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Handsome woman. But you deserve hell. And so do you, young lady. And so do you. We deserve the wrath of God. And in his grace, he has saved I, who deserve the wrath of God, have been found grace in the person of Jesus Christ and he has saved me. As Christ has forgiven you, so you forgive others. 
rid of them now. Get rid of the deceit. Get rid of the hypocrisy. The phony baloney stuff that the world looks at and says, this is disgusting. And it is disgusting. They're accurate on that call. My father, for years, before he ever got saved, he said, I can't stand the hypocrites in the church. He's right. But he used that as an excuse not to trust Christ. So I said, you know, Dad, you hate what you are. He never used that argument again. And it's so true. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envyings and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that ye may grow by it. If so be that you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Can you turn to, uh, well, I have to turn, but look at verse 11. Look at verse 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against your soul. having your behavior honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak evil against, against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. You want to have God working in growth in your life. When I was growing up, I grew five inches. Can you imagine this? Five inches in one summer. Oh, man. And I have to tell you, it hurt. It hurt. My knees hurt. I couldn't jump, not just because of the color of my skin, but I just couldn't, I just could not jump. I couldn't do anything. It, was, it hurt like crazy. And I, all of a sudden, my pants... Okay, I gotta demonstrate this. My, I got combat boots on, so don't be shocked. My pants were like this. I was five seven, and then I was six two. Five inches. Can you imagine? Oh, don't focus on that. <laughs> I mean, it was really tough, and it hurts sometimes. When we grow as Christians, sometimes it hurts because what he does is he does surgery on our hearts and in our minds and in our lives. And sometimes that hurts. But we keep our eyes focused on him. He blesses our lives. He makes us more like him. The end result, I know you're going to school, you're going to college and all that. Nobody is going to care at your funeral where you went to school. I'm telling you right now, and they're not even going to care what your profession was. The thing they're going to care about, and if you grow up and have, you know, you are grown, but I mean, you, you get older and older, you get married and have kids and all that kind of, the only thing that's going to matter in your life with those kids and the people who have been around you who know you is your character.
not your paycheck, not anything else. It's who you really are in Christ. That's the only thing. I mean, that's the only thing. And that really, isn't that the only thing that God is going to look at, at us? Did you do my will? Did you love the saints? That's it. Did you talk to people about Christ? Nobody's going to care if you even got the cure for cancer. It will not matter. It's who you are that makes the big difference. Only one life. It will soon be past. Only what we do for Jesus will last. This is how we are to live now, tomorrow, Lord willing, the next day, Lord willing, the next day, Lord willing. Get rid of it. And, you know, you know how bitterness goes. It's like you taking, you're, you're bitter at somebody, it's like you taking the poison pill and waiting for them to die. It eats you up, not that person. Let's put it all away. What do you say? Let's do business right now with God, right? Let's do it because we don't have the time. We do not have the time. And it's not just the time. It's not right. It is to hold this. Father, we just do come before you and we ask you that you would work in our hearts. We thank you for the hope and we want you to be, have us to be holy, sold out for you. And I'm sure there's many people here that are struggling right now with these things. I ask you that you would really work in their lives, work in my life. Help us, Lord God, to obey these words. Revive our hearts as we have a new obedience to you. Forgive us for our sin or sins. Help us to live for you. We ask this in Jesus' name.